You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. An exciting day at Grace Community Church where six new brothers and sisters in Christ will be baptized into Christ, into the family. They already belong to him. But this is uh, their first official step into the family, and we're really excited about that. Well, I want to ask a question, um, and it may be a painful question for some. Others would be very excited to answer in the affirmative. You don't have to answer out loud. Do you like history? Yes or no? Yes or no? Your answer might depend on what sort of history teacher you had, or a professor that you had in school. Do you prefer to study history or to live in the present and plan for the days ahead? Many people think that we have advanced so far technologically that we no longer need history. History is no longer important. But what an unfortunate error. History is one of the best tools in our toolbox for living wisely in the present and preparing for the future. You know the line, right? Those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Yet those who do study history are doomed to stand by while everyone else repeats it. So perhaps maybe knowing history is not all that advantageous because it gets to be really tough when you see people heading toward the cliff and there's nothing you can do to stop it. In other words, we just don't seem to learn from our mistakes. Today marks the final sermon in the five-week series on the minor prophet book of Habakkuk. If you can't find Habakkuk, I should have said this all along. Go to the Gospel of Matthew and then turn backwards five books and you'll get to Habakkuk. There are patterns in this small book that help us understand our own times. This study, much like Habakkuk's indirect message to Judah, is not given so much to help us to turn from our ways and thus avoid self-destruction, but rather we're thinking about Habakkuk to help us gain perspective in the face of what is going to almost certainly be hard time ahead, hard times ahead for the people of God, and to build trust in the Lord for whatever these days may bring. Our text today is Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. It's not like the first two chapters of Habakkuk, uh, where there's a dialogue going on between the prophet and Yahweh. It reads very much like a psalm, including the title and musical instructions. It recounts the mighty works of God who redeemed his people out of slavery, leading them out of Egypt into the land that he had promised that he would give them. And thus, it was giving courage to those who heard Habakkuk's um, prophecy to have full assurance that the Lord would sustain his people and cause them to rise above the circumstances, no matter how bleak the circumstances looked. I won't read the full text today. Um, We'll go through the whole text, but I won't be reading a lot of the verses. But we will begin our time 
in Habakkuk 3, verses 17 to 19, familiar verses. And if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Habakkuk paints a bleak, bleak picture of what is just ahead for the land and the people. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in Yahweh. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you and be seated. If you were here for the first two Sundays um, in our time in Habakkuk, you might be wondering how it is that the prophet moved from complaining to God saying, what are you doing? I mean, there's sin running rampant in the land, and you just don't seem to be interested at all. He's moved from that complaint to not only trusting God in hardship, but also rejoicing in God and living above his circumstances. Back when Habakkuk first complained that God wasn't doing anything, the Lord said, oh yeah, I'm doing something. I'm raising up Babylon, and Babylon is going to punish Israel for their sins. But don't worry, I'm going to also punish Babylon for punishing Judah. You, Habakkuk, trust me. Have faith in God. And by the time we get to chapter 3, though, Habakkuk is a changed man. God did not sugarcoat the path forward, but he did change Habakkuk's heart and focus. So if you're listening only to this sermon on a podcast, it would be helpful for you to have your Bible open to the book of Habakkuk. So if you're driving down the car, turn off, stop, and open your phone or book, your Bible to Habakkuk. By the time we get to the third chapter, the prophet is writing and singing a psalm for the benefit of God's people. People like us. By verse 2 in this third chapter, Habakkuk begins to fear God more than he fears man. He's heard about the days when God worked openly among his people. And he longed to see the works of God in his own day. He asked God to be merciful in his judgment of the land. In verses 3 through 5, Habakkuk recalled the glory of God coming in from Taman and Mount Paran. Now, these were not literal places, but most scholars think that he's talking about an area to the south, southeast and southwest of Egypt and, I mean, of of Israel. And thus, he is referencing God's deliverance of the people out of Egypt from slavery into the promised land. A redemption is very much in play. And the notation Salah, you always wonder what that means in the, um, in the Psalms. Not exactly sure what it means, but some people will take a stab, a, a, a guess uh, at it. 
But this is interesting. Salah is found nowhere else outside the Psalms except in Habakkuk. It's usually referring to or likely referencing a musical notation. In the New American Commentary, Kenneth Barker and Waylon Bailey have this to say about Salah. Quote, the best suggestions for the meaning of this word involve some kind of musical notation, possibly a time for the orchestra to play while worshipers meditated on the profundity of the subject. You'll notice that our musicians will do that occasionally while we're about to pray or there's comment, there are comments being made to the congregation. They'll play softly. Uh, this may be the case in Habakkuk's psalm as well as Psalm 85 where the only use of Salah follows a verse describing the forgiveness of God. So let's look at Psalm 85, verses 1 to 3, and make the connection. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Salah. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Does this remind you of something we were thinking about just a few weeks ago? The Old Testament was always pointing to Jesus. It was always pointing not only to Jesus, but pointing to the cross where Jesus would die for the sins of the people. God's wrath would be turned away from them if they confessed their sins and trusted that Jesus had died in their place. They can know that they have been forgiven and that eternal life awaits them rather than eternal judgment. It's quite a savior that we have. When Habakkuk envisioned God judging the nations, here's a question. Was he looking to the past when Israel came out of Egypt or was he and, and, and redeemed, uh, God redeemed them from their enemies or was the prophet seeing beyond the immediate future to a time when God would rattle the cage of all nations? The best answer is probably yes. Old Testament prophecy is often that way. It's now, it's later. In verse 8, Habakkuk asks rhetorically if God's anger is against his creation. God, are you, are you upset against the creation that you have made? While the answer is no, God's wrath is against his enemies, the next several verses indicate that the creator is above the creation. That's a big deal for us to know in this day. The creator is above the creation. Do we live in a day where the creation is worshipped more than the creator? Yeah. Yes. When pagans worship the creation, they are usually opposed to those who worship the creator. And this is where God was heading in Habakkuk chapter 3. Let's read verses 12 and 13. 
You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Salah. We were talking in our home group this past week about the difference in the language in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament is much gentler, offering forgiveness to those who trust Jesus. Not only that, but also calling for believers to forgive their enemies and to pray that God will be merciful and gracious to those who persecute them. The difference, of course, is Jesus' death on the cross. You can see how some theologians get to the place where they say, no more violence. Jesus has taken care of all of it. After the resurrection, you don't see a whole lot of judgment being talked about in the epistles. But to think that no more violence is coming from the Lord against his enemies is naive. And it ignores the violence against God's people that continues to build Exist and to build. So let me rephrase this earlier statement. The New Testament is much gentler than the Old Testament until you get to the book of Revelation. There's a, it sounds a whole lot like the Old Testament. Furthermore, we must acknowledge that many of Jesus' prophecies, his end-time prophecies, include eternal judgment for God's enemies. And while that seems harsh to some, remember, God is jealous for his people. And those who persecute God's people will feel the full weight of his wrath against their sin unless they repent. Paul repented. He had put believers to death. But unless God's enemies, which include everyone who does not know Jesus, unless they repent... They will suffer. It is akin to, as far as God avenging his children, it's akin to, look, you're in trouble already with what you've said about me. But when you start talking about my spouse and my children, that's another story altogether. In verse 13, we see that God's judgment against unbelievers is for the purpose of redeeming his people, bringing them out of the chaos. We tend to think of redemption primarily in terms of individual salvation. I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And the the reason that we think that is because we're Americans. We're individualistically minded. We always have been. But most nations are very aware of the importance of the community. But not only the community. My goodness, Romans 8 tells us that the earth has suffered because of the fall of man. And all creation longs for the full and complete redemption of God's people so that it will itself be renewed and restored to its original state. Can you imagine a world in which there are no poisonous snakes? Man, I wonder if that means Australia is not part of the new creation, new heavens and the new earth. No, just kidding. 
I can say that because Allison's coming to the second service, right? I'll say it then too. Can you imagine a world? No poisonous snakes, no devastating floods, no carcinogens, no wars, no Canadian wildfires. Can you imagine such a world? The day of full redemption is coming. Verses 14 and 15 remind us that the evil works of the wicked will be the undoing of them, of those who practice evil. If you build your life on unjust gain or uncontrolled power or on moral license, you will find that you will reap what you sow. But once again, it's far more than what goes around comes around. It will be the Lord himself who will judge you by using your own devices. Verse 16 requires just a, a moment of meditation, a, a quiet moment. I hear Habakkuk has come near to the end of his prophecy now, and he says, I hear all that you've said, God, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. <clears throat> you've been that afraid before, haven't you? where you can just feel it inside. It's like all the life just goes right out of you. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So Habakkuk, in a far different place than he was when he began his writing. He's come to a place of acceptance. The nation is going to fall to Babylon, and it's not going to be pretty. Habakkuk does not say, bring it on. Me and Yahweh can handle anything. He is fully aware of the devastation to property and life that will come when Judah falls. <clears throat> Rather, Descriptive in his honesty, isn't it? What is his hope? That he will somehow personally avoid a horrible death at the Babylonians or that he will persevere through captivity? No. His hope is that God will bring trouble on those who bring trouble to Judah. We have a far better hope. Jesus. And this hope includes our enemies who turn to him. No matter what you believe about the prosperity gospel, it has impacted all of us. We all think that if we will do this, this, and this, then God must respond in this way, and it's going to be really good for me. Who knows what the days ahead will bring for believers? There are no promises that we will avoid severe persecution or even death. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, <clears throat> All who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. Paul wrote this from the Mamertine prison in Rome, or a prison very much like it. A prison that our group that went to Italy last week 
uh, has seen this week. And when you're standing there, I'm telling you, you get the sense of how horrible the conditions were in that prison. A small prison where they would pack about 30 people in, no restroom facilities. When the waters, <clears throat> when the floods would rise, the waters would come up in this concrete, this rock uh, encasement, and, and they would put you down through a hole in the floor. You get to walk down now, but back in the day, they would put you down or maybe just throw you down six to eight feet. Uh, from a hole in the floor. Paul wrote <clears throat> 2 Timothy 3 as he awaited execution. And so how did he advise Timothy? <clears throat> did he say, Timothy, you, you don't want to come here. Man, cool your jets a little bit about your, 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 your witnessing. Don't, don't, you just don't need to witness as much as you used to be careful, hide your faith. No. <clears throat> Paul encouraged Timothy to remain steady, even as people go <clears throat> from bad to worse. And, and what that looks like, as we get to the book of Daniel, early on in the book of Daniel, um, we'll be talking about that. Maybe we'll talk about some specifics from our day how we might respond to some of the challenges that we're facing today. But a commitment to live for the Lord, <laughs> no matter what, is the commitment that Habakkuk made in submissive faith before the Lord at the end of his prophecy. Once again, Habakkuk 3.17 paints a devastating picture for the land. No food growing on trees or vines in the fields, no cattle, no sheep. It's like you have been very careful to diversify your portfolio. And it is quite diverse. You've got, you got interest everywhere. And every one of them fails. How can one survive such scarcity? There's no promise of survival. How should one respond? Once again, verses 18 and 19. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. This is obviously an intentional commitment and decision. I will rejoice in, in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And then those musical notations again. This was meant to be sung as a psalm by the people to the choir master with stringed instruments. Amen. <clears throat> Here are a few lessons for us from the text. Beginning with, in a day <clears throat> when people are seeking to be gods, fear God more than man. Is it ungodly? For us to fear those <clears throat> who would do us harm or to be afraid of what might happen to us? Well, it's natural, I can tell you that. Habakkuk's legs turned to jelly, his lips trembled, and his bones felt as if they would crumble. Courage is not measured by what you feel, it's measured by what you do. 
The Apostle Paul used his status as a Roman citizen to avoid punishment from the government whenever possible. But neither one, neither, neither Habakkuk nor Paul backed away from serving the Lord. And in the end, they both suffered great loss. If you follow Jesus, you are going to face difficult choices. And I would guess some, if not many of you, have already been called upon in your place of employment to state something that you don't believe and that goes against God's creation order. What are you going to do? It's not easy. I don't know if you remember. I've been saying it for years. We need to pay off as many houses as we can. I'll leave it with that. We're going to talk a lot about this as we continue our study of eschatology. But for now, surely we can agree that Christians are being asked or required to state things that are just not true. Things that are in opposition to God and again, His created order. Remember Jesus' word, <clears throat> words in Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, let me just stop. I should have said it before I read these verses. This doesn't mean that we're unkind or cruel to people. No, we're loving to people. If you think it was a lot easier for God to save you than somebody else, you're, you're wrong. We're all equally sinful before him. That's not the point. That's not the point. The point is, though, <coughs> when God, <coughs> excuse me, calls us into his family, we belong to him, and we cannot be ashamed of belonging to him. Mark 8, 38. <coughs> Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father, with the holy angels. <clears throat> Good reminders. <clears throat> we should remember these words of Jesus often, especially as troubles increase. And we should share them with one another and ask for prayer. <clears throat> Second, remember your baptism often. And in so doing, remember that God saved you by his mercy. Pastor David used that phrase this morning. Remember, he prayed, Lord, help us remember our baptism. Now, let me make really clear, <clears throat> really quickly. Baptism does not save you. It's an outward symbol of an inward reality. When Martin Luther was tempted to doubt his doubt, his conscience would sometimes whisper and sometimes shout, Remember your baptism. And since Luther was baptized <clears throat> as an infant, surely he was not, <clears throat> I am sorry, <clears throat> referring to the act of baptism, the moment that he was baptized. Furthermore, Luther fully understood that it was not his baptism that had saved him, but rather faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. What was Luther's verse? Romans 1.17, which was originally written in Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live 
by faith. Baptism is a picture of redemption. When we go into the waters in this next service, and those who have professed faith in Christ go under the water, and then they're immediately raised up. It's a picture that the old self is being put to death, and the new self in Christ is coming alive. When God calls his people to remember his hand in their redemption, as he did in today's text, an active response is expected in one that is more than just saying, thank you, Lord. He's calling for us to live in this newness of life. When we remember our baptism, it's not so that we can say, well, I've taken care of that. Now I'm going to be uh, okay for eternity, so I can just have fun, do whatever I want to, or if it's pressure's too great, I'll just go along with the culture. That's not at all what remembering your baptism is about. It should remind us that Jesus has saved us. We've died to the old. We've been raised to the new. The old man still lives, but we are called to follow Christ. That does not change when times become more difficult, which leads to our third point of application. When life is not going well, recall the wonderful works of God in your life, in your family's life. And in the life of the covenant community in which God has placed you. A lot of those verses in Habakkuk 3 that you were looking at and like, I don't get that. This is what it was talking about. Remember the works of God and know that he is all powerful and sovereign. And even though difficult days are coming, he's in charge and it's going to be okay. This is not only a continuation of the last point, but it adds the importance of the covenant community in which God has placed you. How important is your church family to you? What about your home group family? American Christians have figured out how to be just fine without the church. Thank you very much except that we are not just fine without the church. Thank you very much. When you are a citizen of a nation or a city or a village, you have responsibilities as a citizen of that community. You also have expectations of what the city is required to do for you. Look, you can live off the grid at some level. I get it. But face it. You need other believers in the body of Christ in your life, which leads to the fourth point in which this thought is, once again, continued. Prepare for persecution by living out your faith in the community of faith. So if you're here for the first time, not only are we finishing up Habakkuk, but we're just beginning a three-book series on Habakkuk, Daniel, which will start in two or three weeks, and then move on to Revelation. Along the way, this study, by the way, deals with the doctrine of eschatology or the doctrine of end times. And along the way, it's going to be good for us to remember the basics 
to remember our baptism, if you will. When we gave ourselves to Jesus and he gave himself to us, because that's what's going to be happening in the second service. Not only is Elizabeth Causey going to say, I belong to Jesus, but he's going to be saying, I belong to you. Now, she's already saved. That's going on. But this is a public affirmation of that mutual now connection that we have with Jesus. So it's going to be good for us to think about the basics. Oddly enough, it's easy to, it's easy to take basics <clears throat> uh, for granted when we get into the deeper things of God's Word. So just a reminder of your place in this family, if this is where God has placed you, here are some, some uh, basics of the Christian life that we must give attention to if we've learned anything from Habakkuk about keeping focus, even in hard times. First, have you been saved? Not are you a church member, not do you give, all these things I'm going to talk about right after this, but have you been saved? Have you trusted? Are you hoping only in Jesus' death on the cross is payment for your sins? And you're not depending on your good works. If you're Doubting your salvation a lot, probably, <laughs> most likely you're saved. You're just worried, did I say it right? Did I do it right? Most people don't care about their sin that much. But here's the question. First question, have you been saved? Second, have you been baptized? We're going to do it this morning. We'll have another baptismal service soon. Please speak with me or an elder or with a staff member if you'd like to be baptized. It's a huge step in your walk with the Lord. Third, are you a member of this church? If not, why not? If not here, find a church where you can be comfortable making a covenant commitment with other like-minded believers, where you can be accountable, you can be accountable to them and you can receive encouragement from them. I'm just going to say this. Those patterns, you know, that we talk about in Scripture that we see over the years, it makes perfect sense to me now. Didn't, not too many years ago, but really, does church mean anything if you are not susceptible to church discipline? We've used it one time in my years here. So I'm not trying to gin up some church discipline. That's not the point at all. But the point is, if we're accountable to no one, does this really mean anything? What are we doing? Coming for a word of inspiration? Really? You don't have something better to do on Sunday morning? We're called to be one body in Christ with him as the head. This is basic. As is, fourth, do you attend Sunday morning services in person whenever you're able? We really struggle, the elders struggle with whether to do streaming, live streaming, because people get used to it. Don't get used to it. Be here all that you can. You feel the pressure from the culture against your beliefs and values, right? It's not going to get any easier. We need to gather as a church family whenever we are able, which leads to do you meet with a home group or youth group 
regularly. Most of our home groups are not going to be meeting this summer. Um, some will be meeting off and on. Ours is meeting a fair amount this summer. Um, we'll be starting back in September, August or September, and we need new home groups. Got a lot of new folks coming in, and <laughs> the, the best pattern for that is new groups for new people. Uh, so we need some new home groups. Pray for leaders and for ho uh, host homes as we go forward. Home groups are where true life in the community happens. Sixth, are you giving 10% of your income to the Lord? This is basic. So, the first question, can you afford to tithe? Well, you know the better question. Can you afford not to tithe? You know, most of the folks in my generation, when we got saved, it's almost like it wasn't even a conscious thought. We just knew you give 10% of your income. Now, I said a few weeks ago, a New Testament tithe is not specifically stated, but the pattern is all the way through Scripture. And the New Testament ought to far exceed what is given in the Old Testament because of our love and heart for the Lord. Just like being a member of a church exposes you to accountability, which actually brings great security for you and your family, in the same way, being all the way in by giving 10%, the way we do it, 10% to the church, then we support missionaries, then offerings are beyond that. I'll just say this. If this list, if you're not doing so well on this list, I don't know how you're going to survive. And buck up politically, as long as there's really free discourse. I mean, they told us all week. I said it all week. Democracy's over. Not really, but it might be one day. So as crazy as it sounds, number six, which I don't talk about all that much, perhaps need to talk about more. That's a big indicator of how you're going to do. That's a big indicator of where your heart is with the Lord. Promise keepers used to say, Tell me how a man treats his wife and what he does with his money, and I can tell you about his relationship with the Lord. Pretty good barometer. Seventh, are you reading your Bible and praying and witnessing when you're not at church? Look, your list may look different than mine, or it might be ordered differently than mine, but these are basics that we need to get right now more than ever. And so for our final point of application from the book of Habakkuk, it's number five in the other list. Practice rejoicing in the Lord now. Do not wait for persecution to come in earnest. Michael Talley preached from Habakkuk several years ago. And while I have permission to steal anything I want and not give him credit whatsoever, I must give him credit for these fine comments 
about Habakkuk's joy found at the end of this Old Testament book. So, from Michael Talley, quote, One of the reasons we have a hard time praying Habakkuk 3, 17 and 19, which, of course, I will, even though there's no food, no crops, no, no, no cattle, no sheep, I will rejoice in the Lord. One of the reasons we have a hard time praying Habakkuk 3, 17 and 19 is that we have placed our faith in results instead of God. If you or your loved ones have ever suffered through cancer or some other terminal illness, you know how easy it is to place your faith in results. If the MRI comes back clear, you had faith. If it's bad, you need more faith. We somehow think that a greater level of faith will give us greater results. But that's not the heart of Habakkuk's prayer. He doesn't place his faith in results. He doesn't have faith in the crops and produce. He has faith in God. And this leads to his joy. Habakkuk found strength by recalling the exodus. We are blessed to recall Jesus' resurrection. The empty grave can give you the strength to face anything. What if our nation falls? This isn't our home anyway. What if we get the phone call or the diagnosis? This is not the end. Amen. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.